Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. Um, I've just got just a pure joy this week. This was, I got to do something today that I was really, really excited about. And yeah, now now it's, it's it just further comes to life with this podcast. So if, you, if you're a listener of the show, you know, a couple weeks ago I had um, Anthony Coniglia Chovy uh, um, from the Chef de Cuisine from Au Courant on and we had a fantastic conversation just about cooking, about all Quran, just about um, just food in general. And he invited me to come to a menu planning meeting on on Mondays. That's when all Quran plans their weekly menu. It changes every week. I was all about that. I thought that sounded fantastic. That happened today. I got to attend one of these meetings and kind of just hear what goes into the thought process, how these things come together. These guys probably think that I'm crazy for like, it's just their weekly thing, and I'm like all excited about it, but it's just what it is. So I've actually got three members of the Aukarant team here. We're going to just chat through how those menus come together, kind of the different thought processes that inspire dishes, and also just kind of some kitchen things in general that people might not know about if they don't work in a kitchen. So what I want to do first is just so we can identify names and voices, if you guys could go around say your first and last name your position at the restaurant, and how long you've worked there. Let's start with you, Chovy. Hey, I'm uh, Anthony Coniglia, a.k.a. Chovy, um, chef de cuisine in Akarant, and I've worked there since the first day it opened, and before that when it was uh, Hispania. Um, my name is Shane Ridgeway, and I actually started working there a little bit before COVID and then got shut down. Um, I'm a recent move from San Francisco, and I guess I would say that I'm like the lead Line cook slash junior Sue at Akarant. Um, my name is Andrew Bernard, uh, a.k.a. Barney, as everyone affectionately calls me at Alcarant. Um, And I make the pasta, and I'm also a sous chef. I have been there for two years, and it'll be three years actually next month. No, it already is three years. Never mind. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Three years. Nice. Yeah. And actually, I think the four-year anniversary is coming up. Uh, we, yep. Yeah, talked about that a little bit at the meeting, so all kinds of anniversaries coming around. Yep. All right. So, for people who haven't been to Akron, first of all, change that. That's a mistake on your part. But the menu structure there, it's a six-course tasting menu that you kind of move through. There's a there's a progression. There's um, an egg dish, uh, Chovy's egg, as it's affectionately called after Chovy. Um, there's kind of a an appetizer almost. There's a pasta dish, a seafood. You move into kind of a beef or steak dish, and then a dessert. Chovy, maybe you would be the best to answer this because you've been there the longest, and Andy, maybe you can chip in on this too, but how did you initially establish that structure at Akron, and how was it decided that that was kind of going to be the the set of courses and how you move through the meal? Um, we kind of just, the first one was all, you know, been kind of, was kind of thrown together like the actual first menu, like that we kind of, you know, um, but he knew he wanted that structure probably just of places he's worked at and eaten at Mm -hmm. so but then we kind of just kept it the same always like second you know course first course egg second course is a usually cold sometimes hot and pasta is always third and just been the same ever since and it works it's kind of works for us too perfect for prepping and how the kitchen is set up for your station yeah I i think it works really well i think you know that egg is kind of like a nice Warm up, um, you know, the seafood is usually kind of a lighter dish. Then you move into the the beef, which is a little bit heavier, finished off with the sweet. It all works very nicely. So 
I guess for even for myself coming into this menu planning today, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know if you know you guys all just sat around a table and everybody just threw out ideas. I didn't know if everybody came super prepared and you like you know people said you know you had three different pasta dishes and then you voted on them or or what it looked like. So I've experienced it now, but rather than have me tell it, I would like to just open the floor to you guys and just kind of describe your process and how these menus come to life just in the structure of the meeting. Well, um, I'm going to say that the way that you were thinking about the way that we um, kind of write our menus, that all three of those situations happen all the time where (laughs) you'll have three different ideas and you'll come in and two of those ideas won't work anymore because other people want to use their ingredients for the one of their three ideas that they've already had. So then you'll kind of have to adapt yourself and your dishes to match theirs, match what we have available. Um, but also sometimes we'll come in and maybe I won't even have a pasta idea, but I'll have one for um, the egg mm-hmm. or for steak. And so then vice versa, they'll kind of adapt and maybe help yep. me out with my pasta dish. Mm-hmm. or Because yep. at Arcarant, we are very much like a team and sometimes people don't have good ideas. And sometimes <laughs> we have to sacrifice, you know, the components that we were going to use to create a great dish, but that's kind of why we always have like three to four ideas. So we can kind of like spin that to the, like the way that we want to cook our food. And we know that we're going to have to probably give up like a few ingredients along the way, but it's all about like being a team and having unity and creating like that great menu for everybody to enjoy every week. And that is something that just amazed me was that teamwork is there's just a constant communication. It's not one person saying, okay, I have this idea for a dish here are the components. It's, okay, I had this idea. And then, you know, one person says, okay, well, we've got, you know, we've got some zucchini that we need to use, or we've got some some pickled green beans or whatever. Maybe we can incorporate that. And it's just a constant dialogue and a constant back and forth. Yeah. Is it, and maybe you would be best to talk about this, Shane, because you're kind of, you're the newest of this group. Is it easy, or was it easy for you to step into that just to fit that constant dialogue right away um it was for me because um growing up as a young cook in san francisco i have a lot of product knowledge and i have a lot of experience in some really great restaurants and this is by far the best restaurant i've seen in omaha and everybody has like that passion and that spark and i couldn't see myself working anywhere else since i started here and i'm really glad that i met chef ben he was able to introduce me to like these great cooks that i'm working with on a Mm -hmm. daily basis and i just think that like yeah like when you're around all that great product and stuff and everybody is trying to do all this stuff on their day off, they're trying to create pickles, kimchi, like stuff like that. And Andy does such a great job at like categorizing everything. We have a spreadsheet of all of our ingredients and we're able to know exactly kind of what we're going to do. Like moving forward, a lot of times we've already figured out kind of the base of our menu um, a week before. And then we kind of just fine tune it during menu week. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really nice. I think this is a perfect time, Andy, to bring up. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the the use list, right? Yeah. That you have on your phone. Yeah, you've just got this giant spreadsheet, and it is it is amazing how detailed this thing is. But just of everything that's currently in Akron's inventory, how much is available? You know, how long you guys have had it? So maybe you know something needs to be used sooner than another product. Can you just kind of describe what that list is and how you compile it and and keep it updated at all times? Um, so I have this use list on my, an Excel spreadsheet on my phone and, um, 
So when, when we get products in, I'll kind of take a mental note to add that to the list later. Um, and I also have a bit of a photographic memory, so that defi- definitely also helps me kind of keep a mental inventory. If I don't add it to the list, that second that I see something has either left the walk-in or dry storage or anything um, to take it off the list. Or if we have something new, I'll just make a mental note to add that to it. Um, but that's just very useful so that we, again, we know what we should work on first versus last. Mm-hmm. Just so we have, because there's things that may, uh, they might be very delicate and are susceptible to uh, reaching the end of their shelf life. And they might make their way to the back of the walk-in, which isn't always uh, seen by us. Um, so it's just kind of a good way to have an inventory, know what we have and know what we can make. How long did it take you to develop like that spreadsheet? Cause that thing's pretty intricate and you've um, been around for three years. So like, did it take some time for you to kind of figure out how to organize everything? Um, really, honestly, I just went in there one day and tore apart the entire walk-in, the entire step-in, all the freezers, all the dry storage. And I just kind of wrote it down on a piece of paper and then pulled up a spreadsheet and organized it after that. Uh, and it, my organization of it has seemed to be working really well so far. So I have a section on there that is uh, produce. I have a section on there that's cured meats. I have a section on there that's dairy. Uh, basically, just organize our products by likeness. Mm-hmm. How essential is it to have that use list, Chovy? I love the freezer one's my favorite because anytime something's in the freezer, if people are always like, oh, you hear everybody groan because nobody likes digging through the deep chest freezers, especially the meat one. Uh-huh. It's a bunch of heavy frozen bricks of stuff. So how long does it typically take to plan one of these menus? Today we went for, I'd say like an hour, hour 15, hour and a half, somewhere in there. Is that typical? Is it usually longer, shorter? It usually does last over an hour for the most part, just because we are constantly like back, like we're ping-ponging ideas back. We're ping-ponging ideas and we also just kind of like to uh, talk smack to each other (laughs) because we we like spending time with each other. Um, Sometimes, obviously, the menu is a little bit more easier because sometimes the ingredients here are, you know, kind of the same thing. So we have an idea about what we're going to do and it's not too complicated. But when different seasons come around and there's a lot more ingredients flowing around, then it causes, you know, then that's like when the excitement really happens. And then yeah. you get to kind of just throw together like some really fun dishes. And, and that's like the best part. Also, sometimes we'll actually have an idea of the menu, but even before Monday. So yep. sometimes it'll be like 20 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. we'll just already have everything already done. And yep. we know exactly what we're going to do. And we just basically yep. finalize it. We will text each other, and he's like, hey, I have an idea for a dish. Andy will text me about the pasta dish, and I was like, that sounds great. Let's, like, just add this one component, and then we're, like, set. And yeah. then, like, sometimes a dish just comes together. Some weeks it is a little bit harder, and sometimes we have to sit there, you know, for an hour and a half and kind of figure out, like, the right way to put the dish together. Mm-hmm. The short ones are weird, though, because we're like, are we actually done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this a dream? <laughs> As it never happens. Yeah. Or almost. And especially before we closed, uh, because we didn't used to do it on Monday before we closed for COVID. It would be on Thursday night. So we would be there sometimes until 2 a.m. Oh, really? And we wouldn't. And back then we only changed like one or two menu items. And now we're changing our entire tasting menu. Mm-hmm. So something that I didn't really think about coming into today. And then once I heard it enter the discussion, it was kind of like a duh moment. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. But there were several times where someone would bring up an item or 
you know, an idea for a course and it'd be like, oh, well, we just did that two weeks ago. You know, we, we can't run that back quite yet. How much do recent menus play into the planning and the creation of dishes? Constantly. I think it's more so about the product that we have protein wise. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if it was a slower week and we still have enough to do that, we don't really want to see that product go to waste. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll do the same steak or if we have enough short ribs, we'll do a duet again kind of thing. But for the most part, we try to always change our sets and kind of like the new direction that we're moving is we're working with different flavor profiles yeah, and trying to just have like some unique kind of aspects about the dishes that we haven't normally done at there, Arcaron. There's that. And also it's just the kind of um, mental aspect that like, oh, I made that dish two weeks ago or I made this pickle yeah. two weeks ago. I want to make something else this week. Yeah. I always want to do something else. I want to find a new technique. I want to find new flavors and just keep pushing ourselves forward to be better every day. Um, do you guys find, is there a course that typically comes together easier than the other ones? Or is there a course that's a little bit more difficult? Like, you know, maybe the pasta dish comes together super easy every week. It's just like, bam, that takes five minutes. Where, you know, maybe the second course takes, you know, 15 or 20 minutes when you got to really keep rehashing it. Are there courses that come easier or more um, difficult? I would say that the egg dish is one of the easiest ones to do. It's very, like, we're very comfortable with, like, the pairings of eggs. But we always change the sets. But the egg is, like, when you know what exactly what you're doing, you know exactly the flavor profiles that work with the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would agree, like, the pasta is pretty easy. It just depends on, like, what kind of route we want to go. Sometimes yeah. we try to spice it up a little bit. But I would say... Mostly, probably the fish would be the hardest because we're not exactly sure what kind of um, protein we're going to be bringing in for the fish, and we're always trying to do it, you know, not repeat it. Yeah, yeah. not repeat it. We're also trying to get you know like good local product as well, and we're also trying to like figure out sorry the best way that we can do that. Yeah, second course is usually second course can be the hardest or easiest too. Because if we know we're going to bring in some tuna for a crudo, it's like, oh, that's easy. But, like, the second course is never just an egg or just, you know, pasta. It's like cheese board, meat board. It can be beets. It can be, like, literally anything. Mm -hmm. It could be hot. It could be cold. So that one, if you don't have any ideas, that one's tough. And then also the first free bite is also probably the most creative thing that we do probably because it's not on the menu. It's a free kind of bite that we offer i think that's the one that we have the most fun with definitely because we can be um extra creative we can take just about any route with that um and also that's that's what also makes it challenging though is that it's just so open to possibilities that you and you have so many possibilities especially with just looking at that use list it does seem kind of daunting sometimes that we have all this product and we're just like okay what should i do with all of this Uh uh-huh but and that's when I think it's handy to sort of break things down into smaller steps and say, uh, this is this is what we should use versus all of this that we can use. We should use this. Let's only think about that instead of all of this other stuff that we have. Um, so, yes and no. Some, some, some courses are definitely easier than others to come up with. Mm-hmm. And especially if you favor, um, let's say you favor um, seafood over an egg. Obviously, you you as yourself is going to come up with what you'd want to eat or make easier with the fish that you like versus the egg, which you may not enjoy as much. Mm-hmm. 
Now, how much prep work does everyone do coming into this? And it probably varies from person to person, but I just, I found it interesting and and I'm not, you know, trying to like single anyone out here or anything, but like Andy today, you came in with your, with your pasta dish and you were like, I'm really, I'm thinking of ravioli. We've got some beef cheek left over that we can use in there. You had an idea for a sauce and everybody was like, yeah, that sounds good. And there was a little bit of back and forth about like, okay, what vegetables can we pair with that? You know, what do we have that we can use and everything? But that course was over in about five minutes. Then there were other courses where it was just kind of like, there wasn't really a concrete idea and people just kind of started throwing things out. And then there would be something that someone said, someone else would latch onto it and be like, well, what if, yeah, what if we did that? But, you know, we prepared it in this way. So like, how, how much prep is done coming into this thing and how much is just kind of ad hoc on the fly? Um, I think when we first come in on menu meeting, most of the prep that we're talking about hasn't been done. Uh, we had a project list that we created this week while you were there. So I think we sort of definitely took inspiration from that product list that we started off talking about and incorporated that into our menu for this week. Um, our, our project list, sorry. Um, but... It just, it just depends on station to station, and obviously we're a team, so we're going to help everyone. If someone has a heavier prep list that week, they're going to get help. There's no nothing wrong with asking for help. Um, and if someone doesn't, if someone hasn't made something before, then usually it's that turns into a two-person project. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially the big, like if we have a case of vava beans, and they're only going to be used on, if Shane's going to be the one cooking them, Everybody knows that we're all going to prep them together just because it's like 50 pounds of something that yeah. takes a long time. Yeah, we call those fava parties. Yeah. <laughs> or, just, or just any that kind of party. sound like a fun party. <laughs> Everybody's standing in a circle just peeling beans yeah. for we'll, two hours. We'll do that if we have like uh, like a caramelized onion jam or you can have a party for just about anything if you have a big enough amount of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what What's your number one source of inspiration as you guys are trying to – conceptualized dishes? I think it's about honoring tradition mostly. I think that just like being a cook, like hearing other cooks' stories, not even necessarily a cook, but just like like a beautiful like old grandma that just is making tortillas for like 80 years and like they're just the most incredible tortillas that you've ever had and traveling around and seeing all the time and effort that people have spent to give us the knowledge of being cooks and sharing their stories with us. I think that it's more about like honoring the tradition and the stories of people more so building and kind of classics. and kind of like and also building the new generation to take it over from us as well. Be able to do like it like a oh you can make it they used to do it like this, you know, in France 100 years ago. We're doing the kind of the same dish but it's like the 2020 method. Yep. Mm-hmm. So other people have put in the work to learn different ways to kind of sneak around the corners that actually give better results and we have that knowledge and we you know try to honor that and then we try to create our own kind of like ability to teach other cooks like down the road right oh sorry go ahead i also think that our inspiration can come from just about any outlet of anything like a lot of times um us us cooks will all eat together on like a sunday or one of our days off we'll get together and go eat at one restaurant and we'll kind of, we'll find inspiration definitely from what we've just eaten. Um, or it could be from, I don't know, a movie that I've watched recently where there's one scene about a food and it just, I just couldn't stop thinking about that for a whole week. And the next 
the next week my pasta dish is inspired from that movie. Really? I don't ever get to I don't ever get to tell that to anyone, but like that's sort of just a me thing special for me that I get to do every time I make it. Do you have an example of that? Or is that um too off the cuff? I would say that the example uh for this week actually is um I was just kind of just randomly scrolling through Alcron's Instagram, just kind of thinking back about all the memories that I've had there. And uh, I just saw a ravioli with tomatoes. And I was thinking, we have all that extra beef cheek. Let's just do that. The same style of ravioli, but with beef cheek in it, and then tomatoes and eggplant, and then finish off with cheese. Mm-hmm. It's just classic, and no one is not going to like that. Yeah. Um, I love that you brought up social media there, and I think it plays into something that, that you just said, Shane, is that you know something that you guys are monitoring is you're kind of taking a look at how other people are reinventing or you know kind of playing off of classics. How much has social media changed the way that you guys approach cooking and approach your prep? Because now you have, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, you just have so many more avenues yeah. to see things that people are doing yeah, especially for plating i think it's the yeah. most important because we we pretty much if we all go out to eat together it's usually asian food that's like where we all like to go eat yeah but for like plating because we don't go to like tasting menu places you know uh-huh. you know we all work there yeah we work in the only <laughs> menu restaurant there's not a lot of options. so it's, it's, so, it's yeah. hard for us to find inspiration for ourselves <laughs> here but we still find it yeah, Instagram is good, though. Yeah, Instagram has been huge for me as well. Like, my whole entire feed, when I look at it, it's all uh, different plates of food. I don't even get normal things. And sometimes I'm thinking about a dish, and I don't really know how to plate it. Or I'll see a component that looks really fun, and it's something that I've never done before. And that's, like, a huge inspiration. Because sometimes you don't know how you want to plate a dish, and then you see something, and you look at your ingredients, and you're like... That's exactly how I should plate it. Uh-huh. So the Instagram kind of like seeing what other people are doing is like a huge inspiration and like a huge hope. So and another thing about Instagram that we kind of do is uh, we'll send each other like pictures of plates and think, what if we did, what if we made it look like this, but instead of placing this on this side of the plate, let's move it here and prop it up on this uh, ingredient to mm-hmm. give the plate more height. And just, just we, we don't obviously want to copy anyone because that's just, boring of course not and but we definitely take inspiration from things that we've seen on social media and we send it to each other and we all have a big group chat on instagram kind of sharing all of each other's likes and dislikes and inspirations and all that good stuff i think that's so interesting that that's just how you guys' minds work where you can be looking at these beautiful pictures and you're like this looks delicious but what if you know we just shifted this here or what if you know, this were cooked a slightly different way, and then that can inspire what goes into a dish. I I just love that, and I think that that's awesome. Um, so something that we talked about last time, Anthony, is – or Chovy, keep being all formal. <laughs> um, something that we talked about last week is the dish – like if I came to Akron on a Thursday and got the tasting menu – it might be slightly different than the tasting menu I would get on Saturday because things are adjusted yeah. throughout service. Just kind of, can you maybe move me through from from conception to final dish? Like, what is what is that progression? Usually, I mean, I, the steak one is the one that moves the most because we're like, oh, we should have off centered it or instead of centering it or like 
the salad. We're like, oh, we like the octopus this week. We were going to do salsa verde. And Shane was like, no, we got green tomatoes. We'll put a relish on there. So, like, this is, sometimes it's on the fly, just like, and then we're like, oh, we should have spread it out on the plate more. And so then Friday we try it and then we like it. And then, but it, yeah, definitely by Saturday we're all on the same page and we're all plate together too. Say we there's like, we're sending out 10 plates. We all like, there's not just one person plating. Right. There could be four people. So we kind of have to also be on the same page with each other because if somebody's plating it a different way, it's not going to look right when it goes to the table. So, but then, like, if uh, Sam that works there on um, Lead Garmo, if he comes over to help us on Thursday, and then uh, Saturday he'll come back over to help us, and we're like, oh, no, 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 we're not plating it like that anymore. And he's like, well, you guys, you know, you changed it up on us. Like, yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The nice thing is that we don't have a huge ego in our kitchen. Everybody is, like, you really can just like, call each other out. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is like willing to say it. And then at the end of the night on Thursday, because it's the first time that we've plated that dish, because every time that we do a menu, it's new. So it's never the same for us. Sometimes we chose the wrong plate. So sometimes we decide to change the plate up, which is like the biggest change. But we're always like in there, like calling each other out, being like, hey, I didn't like that plate. And then we're like, hey, let's sleep on it. And then all three of us will come together and then we'll start like talking about how we can kind of make that dish like yeah, a better, better presentation can be. and by Saturday it, it will look inc- probably different than Thursdays, but it'll be the, the one that we're happy yeah. with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Choosing the plate too is the, yeah. just like a, yeah. doing the whole tasting menu. We got to figure out yeah. it's generally the same ones for each course, but we change it up from now and yeah. again based on the ingredients and the size of what the dish is going to be. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause I feel like, and maybe you guys did, discuss this today and I just missed it, but I feel like I didn't hear a whole lot of that. How do you decide on what plate or what vessel to serve something on? That one's, that one we kind of usually decide on Thursday, but okay, yeah, like, like for if the egg's going to be kind of loose and more like we want to keep the, if it's like a ragu under it that's loose, we use this really small bowl to contain everything instead of, but if it's like on a cracker or something, we can use a bigger plate and use that negative space. But yeah, the uh, the f- type of food we're cooking dictates what plate is appropriate. For yep. sure. Like if we're doing if we're doing more of like a soup or a broth with the fish or something like that, then we'll use the bowl mm-hmm. because it makes the most sense. But maybe if we were doing a pu- like a puree with the fish, and and depending on like what the ingredients are, then we'll use like a different plate to kind of have it spread out and look nice. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing more more of a concise like type dish, you always want to try to use like a smaller plate or a smaller bowl. Or also depending on if we're going more of a rustic style for that course or if it's going to be yeah. more composed. I don't – I think it looks a little bit um, mismatched if you have a very, very rustic dish on a pristine white porcelain plate. Usually we put more of our rustic-looking dishes on, a, on some of our really nice uh, handmade wood boards. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the wood matches the rusticness of it and it makes it just feel more – more approachable, mm-hmm. yeah, more concise for sure. Yeah. Okay, so you guys agreed upon a menu today. All the courses were set, you know, talked about what's going to be made for each one. What do you do between now and Thursday when service begins to finalize those courses? Like how many times is each dish being made? And then it, does everybody test the dish? And then people make suggestions based off of that. 
you know, do, do you make the course once yourself and you're like, ah, I don't really like that. You know, can you come over and tell me what you think? Like, just kind of take me through between when everything's decided on to when it's actually served for the first time. What's that progression like? Um, so usually when I am going about making my pastas, the first thing, if it's a stuffed pasta is obviously making the filling and tasting it and making sure that it's proper. And if I have someone with me there that day, I will almost always go and ask their opinion on it. Um, we all chase each other's food constantly. Like we're always asking because sometimes your palate gets like a little tired from trying the same dish over and over again. And like everybody is here, like we want to make the best food Mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. So like asking for like, you know, somebody that you trust just to taste your food. It's like one of the best gifts. Or you, I think, I think it was, I can't remember what it was, but last week Shane, he ate like a sour patch kit or something. It was something like that, and he's like, I can't taste, like, somebody come taste this, I just ate candy. Like, <laughs> it's just, but most of the stuff we do on Thursday, it gets pretty crazy in there at 4 o'clock. Another important thing also is that our menu only has three keywords, so mm-hmm. as long as we are actually, like, honoring the three keywords, there's not, we, we have the ability to, if we end up coming in and then having an idea to get, like that would be really good for that dish, it's not on the keywords, but we can just add kind of where we kind of see it. Mm-hmm. And um, what you were saying is how many times have we made that dish or tasted it um, before we actually serve it? Uh, the answer is a lot. Yeah. We may not have actually plated the entire dish together, but we'll have all the components on a spoon and we'll just try them all together. Or if, let's say, um, Garmo is making a, a some sort of fritter or... Um, croquette they always test fry it and just to make sure that it is going to cook evenly that it's going to brown nicely um, you always should test all of your all of your meats all of your ingredients and in what you've made just to make sure that it's extra up to par mm-hmm. now something that you just said Shane kind of it sparked something that I hadn't really thought about before I had a recent um, conversation with another chef who does tasting menus is kind of like the psychology behind what go what is actually written on the menu. And you mentioned, you know, you guys have the three keywords along with kind of like what the main dish is going to be. So I'm just going to use an example from today. And we, we keep going back to the pasta dish, but I think I, I'm just really excited about that pasta dish. So I'm going to keep going back to it. Like I would be too. It sounds delicious. The, the, main, the main word is ravioli. Like it's just called ravioli. And then the three keywords are beef cheek, tomato, and eggplant. So like you kind of get an idea of what to expect, but mm-hmm. when that dish is served to you, you don't really know. So there's still like a chance to thrill the diner because yeah. they they maybe think they know, but they don't, don't really know what's coming. Like what's the psychology behind deciding on those keywords and, and just being able to thrill the diner like that? Um, I think that the three words are going to be what's uh, most heavily um, influenced in, in that dish. influenced in that dish or shown in that dish. Um, everything else is kind of more of like maybe like a, a background note or just one extra pickle that we may have put on the plate or just something that really is not important. I'm not gonna say it's not important, but uh, like the crunch le- factor or something less important. Yeah. It's just yeah, like we're um, we're not gonna sit put the um, if we add a. Um, a crunch component to a dish. We're not going to put that as one of those three ingredients because all the only reason that that uh, crunch might be there is just to add texture. Mm-hmm. And it's also just a garnish too. And you, yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, 
obviously, uh, you've seen our food. We always put microgreens on everything. Mm-hmm. We have never written down the microgreen on the menu. This has micro basil on it. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, we've never written down that it has micro basil on uh-huh. a dish, but we almost always will put micro basil on something if we have it and if it goes along with the dish. Uh huh. And it goes back to kind of what we were talking about. We only really talk about the menu for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you kind of forget what's in the walk in. And sometimes you'll just go to sleep and you'll just have an inspiration and be like, my dish is missing this component. And you go down there and it's there. And you're like, I'm going to take the extra step because I know it's going to make the dish better. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of rare times where we had trouble putting three things on the description, even though there was three ingredients. But it <laughs> yeah. sounds weird sometimes if you say yeah. like, if you put like caraway or something, is it? Is <laughs> yeah. like, am I going to get a pile of caraway seeds? In them? It, it yeah. sounds like if it's one of the three descriptions, it's probably going to be a lot of it, not just like, you know, a it's, sprinkle of micro celery or something. But mm-hmm. uh, something that really struck me today, and I thought that was super cool from the meeting, is if I would have come in with no knowledge of who was who and what position you guys held in the restaurant. I don't think I would have really been able to tell coming out of it. Now, it was clear that Ben Maids, who's the executive chef, he was kind of the leader. He was finalizing a lot of things. But everyone else was free to make suggestions, and everyone contributed. How important is it that everyone's voice is heard and everyone kind of has that um, that sense that they can speak up and they're not going to be ridiculed, their ideas aren't going to just be tossed aside, but that you know they're going to be respected? How important is that? Um, I do think that it is important for everyone to throw out ideas. That doesn't mean that their idea is always going to end up on the menu. Some ideas may not have been fully thought through, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're newer into the cooking game. Your ideas aren't going to be as on par as, say, Chovy's or um, Ben's or Shane's. Um, So I always say it's good for the new people to still throw out their ideas, no matter if they might get... I wouldn't say ridiculed, but um, it teaches them still. It, like, yeah, you're still going to learn from, we can from ex- making that yeah. mistake. We can explain to them, like, that doesn't make sense because dot, yeah. dot, dot. Mm-hmm. But and also, think about it. It's also important to build off of their ideas. Like, sometimes I know that that's like yes. hurtful to them, but sometimes they have a concept and it's good and you know how to make it just slightly better. Mm-hmm. And you say, hey, I still want to use your idea, but I just need to do a couple tweaks to make it actually mm-hmm. like fine dining, tasty menu accessible. Yeah, or, or either one of us three will have a, like, I want creme fraiche in it, but what, I don't, I'm stuck on that. Like, what do you guys think should I do with this? Like, should I whip it? Should we, you know, smear it? Like, should it be herbed out? Should, yeah. should it be torsion? Should it be, um, should it be, like, heavy and thick, or should it be light and creamy? Yeah, we all help each other with our writer's block a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's exactly where I wanted to go next yeah. is talking about writer's block because we discussed that a little bit last time, mm-hmm. but I want to get into it more fully. This didn't really happen today. You guys were pretty on point. You know, dishes came together fairly quickly. There wasn't a whole lot of stoppage in play where everybody's just kind of looking at each other like, man, I don't know. But what ha- Like, I assume that happens at some point, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it doesn't, but what happens when you collectively just get writer's block and for whatever reason – a, a dish is just not coming together. Um, I think actually that writer's block mostly happens for us when you're alone, when you're thinking about your dishes alone. That's why I think we all work so well together is because we could say like, oh, I, I have an idea that I would like to 
do something really cool with this ingredient, but I'm not really sure what else we could do with it or what would go with it. Um, that's why we do it together as a team instead of just, um, instead of everyone coming up for their, um, their courses on their own. And then it, and then we give it to Amanda and she puts it all on the computer and all on the menu. Um, so yes, you, you definitely do get writer's block, but that's why we have a team so we can help each other out and we can, I feel like beats gives everybody writer's block. Yes, that's definitely. One of the, <laughs> I love beats, but that's one of the menu wreckers. It's that's like, a red light ingredient. Yeah. It's like, I, no pun intended. Somebody, yeah, <laughs> somebody says the word beets and you're like, well, puree or like puree, roasted, diced, smoked. Yeah. yeah. But if like beet dishes are hard too, because we're like, usually people are like, oh, I don't want to do it because we, you know, we put hazelnuts and cheese on it and this, but yeah, then we're like, yeah, it sounds good, but it's not amazing. People mm-hmm. just we get don't stuck really in like it. Beets. Yeah. Like we we made the most amazing beet puree and we were seeing the plates come back and we had like these pillows of beet puree and they had not even been touched yeah. by yeah. a diner. So they didn't even taste it. But <laughs> we need more Dwight Schrutes in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, most definitely. So th- that actually, Shane, that sparks something else in my mind. How much when plates are coming back to the kitchen, how much does that kind of play into maybe how a, how a dish has changed throughout the weekend. Like, if you have a beet puree and you notice, you know, I, I don't even know what the number would be, but 30%, 40% of dishes are coming back into the kitchen with that puree mostly still on the plate. Is that a situation where you guys take a look at it and say, okay, how how can we add to this? You know, does that need to be taken off entirely? How does that affect the dish? Um, I would say it's more of like a mental kind of thing because I've tasted it and I let everybody in the kitchen taste it and we all thought it was delicious, but I understand that some people just don't like beets. Mm -hmm. But you're coming into a tasting menu and I feel like kind of when you're putting yourself in that environment, you should have an open mind and kind of just try and see See what people are doing. Um, But you can't really change anything. But all the time I go to the dish pit and I look at the bin to see what was thrown away Mm -hmm. because in my mind, I want to know if something I'm doing isn't right. So I'm always constantly checking that because, like, yeah. that's, like, the most important part is to make sure that your food is, like, or, delicious. Yeah, and there's sometimes yeah. where we'd be like, next time we should put the steak on top of it so we've kind of <laughs> forced force them to eat it. <laughs> like, but they don't know it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But that's I a- wouldn't say that it affects me in the way that I, like, I tasted every, I taste everything before I do it, and I know that it's really well seasoned and delicious, and I let everybody else taste it, so I know that. But I know that sometimes in a tasting menu, there's a lot of ingredients going on, and some people just aren't going to respond to that. But that's, like, not really, like, something that you can change. So Mm -hmm. I think that as long as you're being true to the flavors and it's good, like, if people don't eat it, it's not really, like, that bad, but... It's good to pay attention to those things because that's what makes you a great cook is being like, why don't people like this? Like, how can I do yeah. Yeah. more to make this year is the best feedback in the kitchen because yeah. we can see if it was like yeah. too much bread that they're not eating or if we see that this never gets eaten. But all of us are very constantly aware of like what's getting thrown away, what's yeah. not because yeah. that's. And I also think that if we do, sometimes if we see things like that, we will try to find a way to sort of sneak it onto <laughs> bites more try to trick people yeah yep. to try to trick people just like just because that there is one pillow of uh, smoked beet puree doesn't mean that there might be like some smoked beet puree under their potatoes or something mm-hmm. so it is kind of a fun little mental game i like to play <laughs> with myself um the one course that i found was really interesting like 
the first five courses, you know, there are a lot of ideas batted around. There's a lot of, you know, discussion about it. The dessert course, the, the pastry chef, uh, Lindy, she basically just, she said, this is what it is. It's mm-hmm. a certain candy bar. I won't say what it's patterned off of. It just involves chocolate, peanuts, and caramel. You can put the pieces together if you'd <laughs> like to. But she basically just said, that that's what I'm thinking for dessert this week. And everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's good. Do you guys just kind of let her handle that course? Or is there back and forth on that one too? No, we always let the pastry chef do whatever they want because... That's one pretty much universally all cooks around the world. The pastry chef kind of does their own. Yeah, thing. and yeah. we're always because usually cook like us, we are not good at making desserts like her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, you know, we usually taste as we go and throw more salt in and stuff. And but like to make pastries for us is like, oh, I gotta get measuring cups out. I gotta get spoons like yeah. tablespoons. Most cooks hate measuring stuff. Uh-huh. And also the thing about pastry is it's such an exact. It's a science. Um, Mark Pierre Waite has a good. Um, he says cooking is a philosophy. Um, cooks always follow their chefs because they're the Pied Piper. Uh, pastry is a science, and they're all scientists. Mm-hmm. The pastry chefs are. But, yeah, usually we just let Lindy do her thing because she's great at what she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just want to eat it. Yeah, we just <laughs> want to taste yeah, it. Yeah, so we're like, so we're just like, oh, you want to make that? Cool, that cool. sounds delicious to us, so you yeah. just do it, and we're going to eat it, so prep extra. Every once in a while, she will have an idea, a concept, and we don't necessarily have that ingredient, but we do have something that's very similar to it. Like last week, she wanted to do a pumpkin mousse, but we had a bunch of butternut and no pumpkins. Yeah, we couldn't so find pumpkins. Every once in a while, we will like kind of be like, hey, like, do you, would you consider this alternative? But for the most part, she always has the idea like a week before, and she's like yeah. ready to execute. we got to find a way to... I've been trying to trick her into doing a root beer float because I want to eat one. So we got to try to find a way to do some inception. It's not that you want to eat a root beer float. You want to eat her root beer float. float yeah. Uh-huh. So we can maybe try and brainwash her to do that subtly. Maybe. Still trying to find a way. I mean, well, for brunch, I definitely said when we were a couple weeks before we wrote the brunch menu, I said, Lindy, make a donut because I want to eat a donut. <laughs> yeah. And she made some of the best donuts I've ever had, and everyone loved them. So... So yeah, you can you she can, can make almost anything. You can plant those ideas. Yeah, yeah. You just you got to do it maybe a little sneakily, and yeah, you got to be sneaky. Yes, yeah. <laughs> maybe before she already has a concept that she's settled on, you just kind of drop that in her. And be like, man, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, especially because your float sounds so good. I'm pretty sure that she will also have what she wants to do for the next week before she's even started prepping for that week. Oh yeah. So she's super organized like that. So if you're if you are going to inception her trophy, you need to start like now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe i mean sometimes we can kind of mess around with making our own ice cream flavors mm-hmm. yeah if we have a bunch of product because we're freezing it so yeah mm-hmm. it's good to have multiple ice creams for uh dairy-free people sorbets yeah we do have basic training in making like desserts like ice cream is like one of the things that you learn first in culinary school so we all have like the ability but i would say that yeah the pastry like the way that she makes her chocolate nobody else yeah, can do I, that no, no, even no. close yeah. but we can definitely do like our basic desserts Okay. Um, moving off the menu planning a little bit, I kind of just want to talk about the atmosphere of the Aucourant kitchen. Like, obviously, I've not been in, you know, these famous kitchens, but, like, it's well known that, like, you know, a Thomas Keller kitchen or a Grant Ackett's kitchen, like, they're supposedly, like, zen-like. Everyone is just very calm and collected. Many kitchens are, like, frenzied, and there are people mm. yelling at each other, and everybody's in the weeds, kind of... Where does the Aucourant kitchen fall 
you know, kind of on that spectrum of activity, we'll call it. Um, I'm going to say that it sort of will change from day to day. Okay. It has some days we're all happy-go-lucky and we're just like best friends in the kitchen. Um, other days we might sort of upset each other a little bit. And those are the days where we're kind of a little bit quieter. <laughs> and there's also the days where no one really talks to each other and we're just having those Zen moments. Where we're just in the moment, prepping it out. Yeah, when we get busy, we everybody kind of stops talking because you kind of yeah. zone in. Mm-hmm. And it flows. It helps you flow better. But uh, I would say that we've done a pretty good job, all of us, for this tasting menu, that we're not really ever in the weeds, mm-hmm. so to speak, because um, we just flow so well together. Yeah. Every, was, everybody has a clear plan of attack. Everybody knows yeah. exactly what we're doing. Everybody's, like, really comfortable with the ingredients. Yeah, we're not really – we don't run out of stuff and have to scramble to – you know, if a station's going down, somebody that is not busy will run over there and help yeah. them out. So we actually, I don't really feel like we've ever been in the weeds since we've opened up, actually. Except for yesterday. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that was brunch. Yeah. I heard brunch can get a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mostly that's just because that's something that we don't do yeah. extremely yeah. often. And I think that's that's why it is a little um, trouble for us, troublesome for us at some points. Um, but... I just think that if we did do it all the time and we had a more a, cl- a clear idea for brunch, as much of a clear idea for brunch as we do for um, tasting menu, then it would be just another day at work for us. Mm-hmm. And you guys were doing to-go orders along with that, so that just adds a whole other yeah. level to it. It's so. also challenging, too, because we have to do a whole entire another prep list on top of right. running a whole entire tasting menu, so we have to figure out times that we can actually do all this prep work to be able to like execute a functional brunch. Uh-huh. So this, this was you guys's yesterday was your first brunch that you did in the restaurant mm-hmm. since you were able to reopen, you know, post um, COVID shutdown and everything. When does that menu planning happen? Cause you still do the tasting menus Thursday through Saturday and then there's Sunday brunch. So is that menu planning just an extension of the Monday meeting? Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep. Um, so that, I think we actually came up with the menu for that, uh, maybe three or four weeks ago because we had a buyout two weeks ago yep. or I'm, I think it's two weeks ago. Yeah. So the weeks are starting to blend together now. Again. <laughs> um, but yeah, some, some menu meetings will just be extra long because we might have to bang out like three or four menus at once. Um, which then that gets sort of dicey and, uh, because then we might, uh, we might have used green beans on two menus and not have realized it so we'll have to get more but that's really the only downside of planning ahead for all of these different menus that we might have coming up but it's always better i think to be prepared way ahead of time yeah we were already talking about new year's yeah we talked menu about stuff. new year's a little bit today um and we talked about it several weeks ago also when we had sort of like a date setting up menu meeting ish with me chovy and amanda and carlos mm-hmm. okay now, there's something I'm really interested in, and I just love talking to people in the industry about, and I think getting an opportunity to have three people that I believe are from different backgrounds sitting here, I just want to get different opinions on it, is just the route of getting into cooking. And, you know, just like, do you just grow up in it and start in a restaurant and you just, you know, rise up the ranks and cook? Do you go to culinary school? You know, do you travel? Is it a mix of all of them? Like, Anthony, we 
Chovy. We talked a little bit about this last time you were on, and, and you kind of came from that first path where you've just mm-hmm. done restaurants your whole life. That's how you've learned, and you've just continued to rise up the ranks. Um, just kind of, I just want to open that question up to you guys. What are your experiences? And, you know, like, I guess I'll just put it to you this way. If, you, if I were to just come to you and be like, I want to be a, I want to work in a restaurant. Like, what would you tell me to do? Should I go to culinary school? Should I just start working in a restaurant? Should I go home and rethink my life? What should I do? You should go home and rethink your <laughs> life. Yeah, I'd probably tell you to go rethink your life. That's, that's usually what I tell people. But, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> but really, there, I don't think there is any wrong reason in how you should go about starting to cook as long as you know what type of foods you want to cook. I think it's yeah. more about an ideology and a passion inside of yourself. Like, choosing you the have right to have to the drive yeah, to be a the right cook. Path. Um, like, a lot of, like, unfortunately we have like the food network and stuff and it kind of glorifies like it doesn't make it look that difficult but nobody really sees what goes on like underneath the mask of a restaurant like it is grueling it is hard like it pushes you to like the mental and physical limits and it takes like a very kind of special person to be kind of Mm -hmm. like in that environment for like as long as all of us have been in there yeah um but also, I think that you can learn just as fastly in a kitchen as you do versus in culinary okay. school. Especially and I, a good kitchen. Especially a good kitchen. And there are yep. more, um, there's better, a lot better habits you will learn in a restaurant than you will yep. in, um, I don't, in culinary school. I don't personally think that the culinary schools right now in America are in a good place. They're kind of more of a scam. And I, like, I went to one, so I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very expensive and the training was like minimal, but luckily I got into a really good restaurant in San Francisco and that taught me more than, than anything. But, you know, like some people want their degree because it means something to them to have that. But, you know, like there's no real wrong way to become a cook. You just have to just submerge yourself in the life. And, you know, if you end up liking it and you stay in there and then you, you will transform into a chef someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like most chefs will tell you not to go to culinary school and just yeah. work at a good place. Like, yeah. Um, there's this chef from Omaha. Um, um, oh, He was in France, and then he came back to New York, and he told us one time, that was the first time I kind of heard somebody, a chef, like, never don't go to culinary school, but it made sense because he was like, if you want, instead of going to culinary school and paying for it, go to Chicago or New York, get a job, and you're getting paid to learn. Like, so. Yeah on-the-job mm-hmm. experience, and but you'll have worked in a good restaurant. You will have good worked in a good restaurant, but uh, the people at school will talk to you a lot nicer than they will at the yeah. restaurant. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if yeah. you have a thick skin, then uh, yeah, go to one of those restaurants, but it depends on how serious you want to get. Or if you guess. would like to get a thick skin, go yeah. <laughs> If you want to see what you're made of. But I'm pretty sure... Every cook has cried at one point in their life. Uh huh. Yeah, we save that for the walk-in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or when you're cutting onions. Like, yeah. No, I'm not crying. It's just I'm cutting <laughs> onions. onions. Uh, Shane, you brought up the Food Network. Is there, like, does stuff like that or, like, the, you know, the food reality shows, does that frustrate you guys? Because it creates this false sense of reality, not only for diners, but for people who are potentially coming into the industry who think they're going to be, you know, they're just they're going to become David Chang or they're going to, you know, become some star on the Food Network or something. Like does that frustrate you guys because it's so far not so far off of reality, but it kind of distorts reality a little bit? 
It is frustrating because the people, sometimes when you have a new cook that comes in, they have no sense of, like, what cooking reality really is. And they've based it off of, like, this false, like, propaganda. Mm -hmm. And they don't have, like, the work ethic. And they're not really, like, actually, like, they don't actually realize what it goes into because they see, like, all these, like, smiling chefs, like... And on TV, they work on one thing at a time. They're making one dish. Yeah. Yeah. But, like... On Saturday night, yeah. we're doing ten different things at once. You can't really I mean, like. I do think that there are a couple of good cooking shows. Like, um, it's not my favorite, but Top Chef. At least there's like real cooks, and it's like a competition, and they're actually like James mm-hmm. Beard nominated chefs. So you actually get to see like what they're doing. Also, Iron Chef is also an incredible show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually like real chefs, and that's like a battle royale. It's incredible, but there are like a lot of shows like. I'm just gonna say, like Master Chef, finding the best like oh new the best new home cook chef in America. Like you're not a chef, you haven't worked in the kitchen. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're an engineer. It's a uh, it's kind of giving like a bad kind of like it's kind of hurting the chefs that are actually like putting 14, 16 hour days into it like on mm-hmm. a daily basis. But yeah, they don't. Those shows don't ever really bother me much. Um, I don't really watch TV all that much. I'm more of a movie person. I mm-hmm. think a lot of us at Alcron kind of all enjoy movies together, which is one of the reasons why I love working there so much. Um, but I will also say that um, they do definitely put a false sense of um, how hard it is to be a cook or a chef in a restaurant, especially one where it's busy. You have a lot of touches on every plate. You make absolutely everything from scratch. Um, I just definitely think it gives a false sense of what it's like mm-hmm. to be in a kitchen doing it every day, day in and day out for 16 hours a day. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that kind of brings up an interesting dichotomy, you know, between what you guys said a couple of minutes ago when I said, should I go to cooking school? And I didn't mean that really, obviously I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I understand I'm not cut out for it. I don't think, but like, you know, if you watch the food network, you know, yeah, you see some smiling personality you know who is calmly making one dish over the course of half an hour or whatever and it's just like all rainbows and sunshines and everything but but then i ask you guys you know should i go to culinary school and you're all just like no go home and rethink your life what 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 is what like in your mind where where is the disconnect there like why do you say you know just before you make this decision really think about it because it's really hard i mean like us three and a couple other people at Alcarant, we've really dedicated ourselves and our like livelihood and our everything about us to making food and a dining experience that's absolutely amazing. So I think if you aren't completely ready to basically more or less submit yourself to the food and to the customers, um, then you shouldn't be in the service industry. Mm-hmm. Like, unless you're going to do it forever. Like I'll yeah. probably cook forever. But yeah, um, a lot of people, they try it out for a couple of years and then they go back to college and uh, have to f- they get a normal desk job or something? Yeah, it's it's good to try. I, like, it's, it's good, good to, it's try, good to try, but we literally eat, breathe, and sleep food. Yeah. Like every waking moment, we're constantly in a group chat talking about food. Every time that I'm on my day off, I'm reading a cookbook. Like I'm completely submersed into learning yeah. as much as possible. Like it is, it's like a lifestyle, not even. Yeah. Like I a mean, choice. you can and you can say you're 35. I want to get into cooking. Like I'm not going to tell you to not do it. But it's just a lot easier to start when you're young, yeah, because yep. you just get used to it. Mm-hmm. And also, it is it is hard on your body. Um, you're standing all of the hours that you're working, um, 
you get burns all up and down your arms and on your knuckles. If you look at Shane's arms right now, I've been looking at them since we got here. And you had a rough last couple of days, bud. No, it was just brunch. <laughs> also, Ben hit me a couple of times with the pan when he got on the line. So, Yeah, I've, I've burned Andy pretty bad. Yeah, but Not on purpose, obviously. That's another time <laughs> to, go, to go cut some onions. Yeah. <laughs> you, get, yeah. you get burned, say, I need onion duty right now. Yeah. Okay, um, as we wind down here, I got a couple last questions for you guys. And this one might be the most important question of the entire episode. What do we need to do to get the Alcarant Staff Meal Instagram account back up and running? Because that thing oh, was yeah. glorious. It has not um, posted since February 13th, 2018. I was going to, that was uh, the old Psalms Alex, and he lost the password or something. It was tragic. I, Everybody yeah. was pissed for a while. Again, um, we tried to like hack back into it. I almost thought of making a new one with the scare cam. I feel and staff meal. <laughs> yeah, because we that scare each a, other a lot. That would be a good I, one. Yeah. I feel kind of bad help for the that. fans because our our staff meals have been pretty naughty lately. So yeah, I mean that's. I would love to do like a uh, a pop up or like a week where it was just staff meal and we just sort of switched it up. Oh, that'd be awesome! And having it just be like something different, but that's something for farther down yeah. the road. We take I staff meal seriously. Yeah, yeah we're, we're really usually like, why, why is our staff meal better than where I can go out to eat? Because uh-huh. you know? we all like or that's the actually most important question every day. What are we making, guys, for staff meal? Yeah, that's, that's like the first thing that we always talk about. Yeah. See, I, I think that's so interesting because, again, I haven't worked in kitchens, so I can't speak from personal experience, but I feel like from talking to other cooks that I've talked to, I, I read a lot of, like, you know, uh, uh, books and stuff about from chefs, from um, other cooks in the industry, and the way they talk about staff meal is so often it's just kind of thrown together. It's just whatever the leftovers are from the couple of days before, you know, you just kind of repurpose those. There's a lot of burgers, a lot of, you know, sandwiches, simple mm-hmm. stuff like that. Why is staff meal such a priority, Akron? And it's something that you guys actually look forward to versus just kind of like, okay, I need some calories for tonight. That's just how that's how Ben's always done it. He loves to eat. Like I've never <laughs> seen somebody just take down as much food as that guy. And uh, he always told me like, don't work in one of those restaurants because if you can't, uh, if, if you can't even have a, you, if you don't feed, yeah, if your uh, restaurant doesn't feed you very well, then. It's like not, they don't really care about you. Like okay. how could you cook food for a living if you're not even getting treated Tread. to food? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Makes sense. And I don't know. I just think it's more the fact that like, I don't want to eat the leftovers of the stuff that <laughs> I've already cooked. I want to make something new for myself. Yeah. I want to make something that I didn't have or make yesterday. So like, what are some recent examples of staff meal that would like get people really excited? Um, we actually made some house Freddy burgers. We actually sliced the meat. Oh, wow. That one's good. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually we stir fry a lot of pastas. We also did a, a, a short rib scrap fried rice. Oh my God. Oh yeah. With, scram- with soft scrambled eggs. Oh my and God. That, that was, was good one. and with kimchi, it was pretty ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Um, we've done Korean fried chicken before KFC. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, um, just like s- simple KFC sandwiches with some slaw on it. Uh, I don't know. Scallion pancakes used to be a favorite for us. I've been thinking about making some of those for everyone. We also really love our egg rolls. Yeah, we do love our egg rolls. Mm-hmm. And and also uh, gyoza dumplings. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a lot of times uh, if if I see something super interesting at the grocery store or at the Asian market, I'll just buy it 
because I know everyone else will want to eat it too. So it's not always stuff that we make for ourselves um, that's made from scratch. We'll go out and buy some stuff for us too. And also, uh, Alcron is basically right next door to Virtuoso. So a couple of times we have definitely had Virtuoso pizza or um, their Italian beef sandwiches for our staff meals. I do not blame you at all. I would, if I worked anywhere near virtuoso i'd be in there just about every day yeah yeah dave is a good friend he constantly visits us with uh, a yeah, lot of pizza can't find her no but the, yeah, virtuoso is awesome because it'll be like saturday night we're all like into service tired and dave will walk in with a pizza for us and everybody's just like clapping dave. and cheering oh my gosh yes dave thank you thank you so much he has I, like a spider sense he knows when we're when we need it yeah he just like sniffs it he's like someone needs pizza yeah yep. all right i'll go down a couple doors and bring a couple pizzas down there all right um our time's almost up here but there's something that i want to ask you guys because i think it's just important for people who are in the in restaurant industry to kind of have a sounding board and i asked you this question a couple weeks ago anthony so if you don't want to answer it you don't have to if you have a new answer or if you've thought of something new feel free to chime in again but uh andy and shane what is something about the restaurant industry that you wish more people understood that they really don't? Shane, you go first. I would say it's probably um, the customer. I would say that that's like the hardest outlet because at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is make somebody happy. But there's a lot of people, especially with like what we're doing um, because we are doing kind of like a more advanced kind of tasting menu. They come in there with like not an open mind. You know, they might have a serious allergy, but they don't leave it. Like we have a spot where you can leave a note and kind of explain that to people. And I do think that it is really hard when people just don't have an open mind because we spend so many hours like making this menu to make people happy. And I think that like sometimes, you know, like the customer is always right. Like that's what people go into. But I just wish that sometimes people would have more of an open mind about how much work that we really like put into like making people happy. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have to say. Um, I definitely think I would have to agree with Shane that uh, some some of, some of customers don't really uh, know how long and how hard and how much passion, love, care, effort, time that we put into this food. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really much of a person to complain about anything. So, uh, I'm not a good person to answer this question, but I would say that, uh, if there was a way that we could express to the customers that say, Hey, we, we care very much about this food. We spend a lot of time thinking about it, preparing it, tasting it, making sure that it's absolutely the best for you. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you could at least give it a try and maybe you'll find something new that you didn't think that you would like. And if not, we would totally make you something else. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Just try it at least, right? And that's the thing. I don't I don't think that that's a, you know, a negative answer or anything. I think that that's just pure honesty. Everything that you guys do is trying to make someone happy. It would be a stupid exactly. business model to just make whatever you want. If customers aren't going to buy it or if they won't like it, then you'll be out of business soon. So yeah. everything you do from, from the menu planning that, you know, you guys did today to the tasting to you know, service, everything is very well thought out, but all with the customer in mind. And I think if people yes. had more of that mindset coming into a meal, they'd be a lot more open and understanding to things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I agree. I don't know. I, I just, I would like people to be a bit more brave. That's what I'm going to end with. Yeah. When okay. they come to eat there, I would like for them to be brave. I understand that they are paying a fair amount of money to eat our food, 
But if you compare our price and the food that we serve, if you could, if you had that same menu in a bigger city, it would be at at least twenty dollars more expensive. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I worked in San Francisco. Our first tasting menu was like one hundred and eighty five without even wine pairing. So yeah. So I think that we do get a good deal, and I would just like for people to be a bit more brave when they when they come and dine with us. All right. We're we're looking to serve more. We're looking to serve an experience, not just food. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it you deliver on all accounts. I mean this sincerely. From the bottom of my heart, guys, like, thank you for the hard work that you put in. I've Alcarant is, if not my favorite restaurant that, not just in Omaha, that I've eaten at anywhere. It's like, it's on the Mount Rushmore. It's fantastic. Thank you. We appreciate that. We I, all appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. I thank you guys so much for, for letting an outsider come into the restaurant today and, and check out, you know, the, the menu planning meeting. That was a lot of fun for me. I know it's just routine for you guys, but for... For a nerd like me, that was like a really cool experience and I really appreciated it. And just for coming out and chatting with me for an hour, like this is awesome. And you guys are taking an hour out of one of your off days. I mean, I say off days in quotations. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. And there might not really yeah, be all off our days. off days are a quotation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not not an off day, but that, I mean, you guys took an hour out of your day to come out here and just chat with me. And, and I think that's awesome. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, we had fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much. It was our pleasure. Yeah. We All love, right. We love people that love food, so. Yeah. Love talking about it, too. Yeah. Talking about food. There's nothing better. <laughs> there is not. It really doesn't. Yeah. All right. As always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us. Thank you.